From Sacramento, the Bishop's Radio Hour with Bob Dunning. Focusing on today's issues in the context of gospel values. Now, here's Bob Dunning on Relevant Radio. That's me. Welcome to you on this beautiful day the Lord has made. Appreciate you all being with us on the Bishop's Radio Hour as we launch our 24th year on the air. And such a, a joy to be here. And thanks to everybody who helped us get here along the way. Bishop Wiegand, who founded the program, and uh, uh, Monsignor uh, James Murphy, who was such a great advisor, along with the late Father Sylvester McDermott and Bishop Soto for his great support uh, all the way up to the current day. So appreciate all of that, and especially you, the listeners, and some of our wonderful guests. And speaking of that, we are pleased to welcome in Sherry Wolfert, his Catholic school teacher, speaker, writer, and founder of the Joyful Words Ministries. Sherry, good day to you. How are you? Doing fine. Doing fine. Sherry, where are you uh, located? I am in Ice Gripped, Michigan. <laughs> Ice Gripped. Is that the name of the town? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's just what we're calling our second snow day with great delight. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I, I remember when I was a kid, I was I was fascinated with weather. And I would I would look you know the the newspaper would print all the high and low temperatures and precipitation from all these towns all across the country, and there was this town in Michigan that I could never figure out how to pronounce. And my dad told me because he had lived in Minnesota, it was Sault Ste. Marie. Yes, yeah. And it was always the coldest place in the country. <laughs> <laughs> and their snow is measured in feet. Not inches. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's great to have a Michigander on the on the program. Um, appreciate you taking the time. Uh, you had a wonderful piece in in our Catholic Herald, when, and I'm sure it was uh, in the Faith Catholic and in a lot of other publications as well. Digital discipleship for kids. What does that mean? Oh gosh, um, we are all called to discipleship, and it touches. Every word that comes out of our mouth and every action motivated by our heart. And I, I don't think that we stress enough with our kids that just because someone doesn't see you say it, um, we're not hidden from the words that we throw out there, either in person or on the Internet. And we're, we're also held responsible and accountable for those to the world and to our creator. And so the, the real motivation behind writing that piece was, you know, we just kind of get this false notion that if, if I'm on the Internet or online, I can say anything in one and, and hide behind the screen, and, and, and that really is responsible. And I think the Lord expects something so much different. Um, and I also think that parents really aren't always aware of the conversations their kids are having when they're using um, media and social media. So my heart just felt really called to to share this message and have parents speak with their kids about how important it is to be a good disciple in real life and um, in, in technology. Oh, my goodness. You know, uh, I mean, the Supreme Court uh, at this very moment is discussing whether – you know, the, those who host the platform uh, are responsible for the content. Yeah. You know, and, um, you know, it's, it's I, I was, uh, I had a friend who, who has a, a teenage boy who's, who's working as a, as a barista part-time after school, you know, at a, at a local coffee shop, not one of the chains, but just a local coffee shop. Mm-hmm. And somebody came into the store he's you know a high school senior somebody you know just trying to get by and somebody came into this little shop and and said well what kind of beans are are these you know and he didn't know i mean he's he's been on the job a couple of weeks uh and he was working alone that day because it's it's a small shop he had no idea what kind of beans they were (laughs) and so this person says what's your name and gives him the name she goes on Yelp and writes this scathing review, not only uh, about the little independent coffee shop that's just trying to get by, and this terrible employee who didn't even know what kind of coffee beans they were. With no and, contact. And named, and named yeah. him, you know. Oh, and, oh and that hurts my heart. He's devastated. 
you know, I mean, like, this is my this is my job, you know. And, of course, the boss is going to read the review and wonder what's going on. And was he rude or was he, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and you know, and I thought, wow. I mean, I mean, she, the, the, the person that posted the Yelp talked about this had ruined her day and she, you know, she could barely think. And, and you're like, my goodness, uh, <laughs> beyond just how mean that is. There is something in the anonymity, I guess, of, of being, you know, whether it's, oh, there's a million platforms now, um, and whatever it is, where you just feel like you can post any mean thing or any frustration you have without any sense of the consequences to the person you're aiming at. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So we, we take that um, that notion of anonymous author, and it has morphed into something that it was never intended to be, you know? Um, it, you think about some of the great spiritual classics um, that have been attributed or not attributed, you know, um, and, and people wrote them anonymously out of humility, out of, I don't want the attention for this, I'm writing for the good of man, and I don't want the credit for it. But now we, we're writing anything we want and, and claiming anonymous, but it's very hurtful, and it's not for a, a humble or good-natured reason at all, is it? No, I mean, we, I mean we've seen a spike in teen suicides based on things that classmates were saying about them online. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's horrendous. It's horrendous. It's, it's, it's leaving a mark. It is absolutely leaving a mark. And I think so often parents are completely unaware, um, or if they're aware that it's going on, they're quite convinced that, that it's not their children who are either being attacked or who are being the attackers. Doing the attacker. Um, yeah, and, and I think they need to be aware that, that uh, more kids than we'd like to realize are probably involved in a little bit of both sides. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and it's... And it's there, there's it's sort of gang warfare too because because one one kid posts something and then the 16 people jump on and say yeah I had that same experience with him or her or whatever mm-hmm. you know or, and yeah. or, or or they just like it or they you yeah. know yeah. Uh, they acknowledge it and um, and then kids get get upset if they didn't have enough followers or they didn't have you yeah. know I thought I posted something really good and and. <laughs> And yeah. I didn't get as many followers, and now I've got to be more outrageous or more, you know, I mean, it's yeah. just like yeah. we all we all want to be king of the hill sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, and, and kids just all too often associate their self-worth with um, likes, followers, and, you know, and, and it isn't, that is so superficial, and it is so unimportant and irrelevant but when that's the world they're a part of, um, it's really easy to abandon saying we're doing the right thing because my motives are a little twisted sideways. And as parents, um, you know, I think so many parents are looking to um, the, the leaders of the platform, the owners and the promoters of the platform, to take responsibility of this problem or for the legal system to take responsibility for this problem, or in my case, teachers to take responsibility mm-hmm. for this platform. And really, we always have to just dig down to the root. And the root is, as parents, we need to be very aware of what our kids are doing, and we need to be very clear about our expectations of how they're doing it. Because, you know, you may you may go unnoticed in the world, but really God sees, knows, hears, and reads all. And um, that's a notion that isn't really shared with our kids enough. You know, what is it, C.S. Lewis, what is the definition of integrity? It's, it's doing the right thing even when no one is looking. Yeah. Because we realize God is always looking. And, you know, we don't use that. I, I, don't, I don't encourage parents to use that as, you know, shock therapy or, or guilting them. But it's truth. You know, it's really truth. And we think so much about ourselves in the here and the now and the current day without giving much thought to the real life that comes next and how our everyday actions, they have an influence on our eternal life. And I think as parents, we need, we need to, to have that conversation more frequently than we do. 
You quote uh, from Isaiah, Remember not the events of the past, the things of long ago consider not. See, I am doing something new. Explain that a little bit. I think the whole world of technology is new. And in all honesty, our kids know way more about it than their parents. And I, I honestly, I am so relieved that my kids are not teenagers right now. <laughs> um, I, I can't, I can't say that. <laughs> we have a house full of teenagers. Then I'm glad you read the article. Yes, yes. I'm glad. I, I, I need parents to be aware, and it's so important for them to be aware and investigate and learn and dive into this world because the way our kids communicate and make relationships and interact. Um, it's new. It, it's so different. And um, after you know, after the pandemic, um, it, it that changed so many things. And one of them that remained is our kids' reliance on technology for building and sustaining relationships, and they don't always do a good job. And so, I think uh, we have a tendency to look at Old Testament and say, "Oh, that was then," but. The whole purpose of Scripture is, how, Lord, are you using this to meld my heart today? Mm-hmm. And that Scripture from Isaiah just really jumped out and said, okay, yeah, we are in the middle of something all new, and whether we like it or whether we don't, this is our kids' reality, and we need to, to guide and love and instruct and help them navigate through this whole social media, technology-heavy existence which means we need to learn things new ourselves. Yeah. So you talk about digital discipleship. What do you mean by that? Mm -hmm. Christ called his followers to know him, to love him, and to serve him. And I can do that in real life, but Mm -hmm. I can also do that in a digital world. And um, the ways that I can reach out to others and serve and help them. There are so many ways I can do that in the digital world as well as in the physical world, but I'm not sure that we always look at our digital presence as a way to know, love, and serve the Lord. And maybe we need to start thinking about that differently. Um, what's coming into our kids' news feeds? Or, you know, what, what, are they, what are they liking? What are they seeing? And is it something that's helping them grow in discipleship? Mm-hmm. Um, are they subscribing to YouTube channels that, that give them something good, that um, promote values, morals, and character? Um, you know, there are, there are so many ways that the digital age can help our kids, um, but are they, are they in the right spots, and, and do we know that as parents? You also talk about emotional savvy. You say things and people are going to irritate, hurt, embarrass, and excite us. Kids need to have adults model what to do with all those emotions. <laughs> wow. Especially uh, the, 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 the problem, you know, that sometimes we have as parents is we don't realize we're role models for our kids, you know, and, and as way more, you know, do as I say, not as I, as I do, uh, doesn't yeah. work. You know, if, if you're not modeling exactly the behavior you want them to model, um, you know, if, you know, if, if they see, you know, you tell them don't swear and you're swearing or don't smoke and you're smoking <laughs> or you go to mass, but I don't, uh, it doesn't yeah, work. Exactly. Exactly. And, and they take a cue from our reaction and it doesn't take long for them to figure out how to get the reaction that will benefit them. Yep. 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 Um, you know, um, just a, a situation um, where a, a student knew he was in trouble. Um, he knew he was, was going to be in trouble when he got home. His grades were terrible. His, you know, in order to deflect the anger that he knew he was going to face and had well-deserved, um, he came home with this whole story about something that happened at school that day that was only based on a tiny partial truth. And, oh, golly, he knew that it would just get his mom all riled up. So she instantly hopped on social media and, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this happened to my child, la, 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 la. Meanwhile, everything is deflected from the child. Right, <laughs> right. Mothers. And, oh, gosh, everybody fed into that. And, um, you know, the, the teacher's like, this just isn't how this all happened. 
And so, you know, the teacher sat down with the child, sat down with the parents, and said, look, this is, this is what we need to talk about. And, and you know, the, the third grader just really had to fess up to the whole story. And then the teacher looked at the mom and said, now you have the perfect opportunity to teach an incredibly valuable lesson. And I wonder if knowing what you know now, if you will go back on social media, onto that same conversation, and have the courage uh-huh. and the discipleship to correct yeah. The, the problem and change the lens that right. everybody's looking at the situation right. with. Um, and I, I, I don't know what happened next, but when I think about how influential we are as parents and adults, um, you know, we, we underestimate the way those little eyes and those little ears are soaking things up. We can harp on our kids about integrity, but when we call in sick so we can go golfing when we're not really sick, our kids see and hear that, and what message does that send? Sure. Um, so, yeah, it's, whew, golly, it's, being a parent just got a little harder, didn't it? <laughs> oh, boy. I'll, t- I'll tell you. Um, um, yeah, it's, it's um, I've had uh, had children sort of pre-internet and post-internet. No, not post-internet. <laughs> We're currently in internet, you know, and it's just... Um, the the differences are are stark, you yeah, know. Um, yeah. And and I and I then I go in my own my own uh, upbringing and and then you know hear the stories from my mom when she was still with us. You know that uh, you know she's she's a, a North Dakotan uh, taking a horse drawn wagon to school. You know <laughs> it's like the differences are just enormous. <laughs> All with their blessings and all with their shadows, right? Yep, that's exactly right. <laughs> We're talking with uh, Sherry Wolfert, a uh, Catholic school teacher, speaker, writer, and founder of Joyful Worlds Ministries. Tell us about Joyful Words, Joyful Words Ministries. Um, you know, it is so much fun. I love, um, I love traveling and speaking, um, doing retreats, parish missions, um, teacher trainings. Um, working with parents, how how do I take the gospel and live it? What does that look like? And how do I do it with joy and with humor? Because our world is just so full of bad and hard and sad. And you know what? I think that's always been. I really do think that's always been. But a lot of our perspective um, makes a difference. How we cling to the Lord and trust in the Lord and put that into action um, with great joy. Um, it's kind of the antithesis. Joy is the antithesis to, to all the, the negative the world wants to feed us. And so it's my great privilege to get to travel with the message of, of great humor and a relatable message that just helps people look at the world and say, you know what, Jesus is still here, and he is darn busy, and am I paying attention? <laughs> I, I am fond of telling my kids God has not left the building, you know. <laughs> You know, every Wednesday in my classroom is, what's he doing Wednesday? And the kids all have a chance to share the places uh, where they have seen Christ working in their life. Oh, wow. And at the, at the beginning of the semester, um, it gets a little, it's a little quiet, right? They're, they're not used to calling things out truthfully, right? We use words like luck and, and you know, karma and, um, you know, silly things like that, when really the truth is anything um, anything good is a gift from the Father, and we need to call it out for what it is. Right. And so when we end that session, the kids will all say in unison, and remember, it isn't that God's not busy, it's that we're just not noticing. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, it's it's true, it's true. And so that's one of the things through uh, my work with Joyful Words is just changing the way we look at the world, changing some of those lenses, um, not to bury our head in the sand, but to say, all right, Lord, how are you working in this? And what are you calling me to? And what is, what is your will, right? What what is your plan for me? And you're noted for using humor. Yeah, I am. I think the world's all going to die of acute emotional constipation if we don't just <laughs> dig in and laugh a little. Because oh gosh, that's not what the media is selling, and it seems to be what we're buying. And I I just the opposite is so true. And there is humor and joy and laughter. Um, and almost everything, you know. There's a there's there's certainly sad and hard and awful and and unforgivable, um, but but the Lord works through all of it. And the laughter is always what 
um, kind of recalibrates us, resets our balance so that we can invite the Lord into those situations that are tough and tricky. And, and I, you know, I, I have very, very, very young grandchildren, and I sometimes look at the world and think, wow, my kids, my kids have a tougher time than I did raising them. And, but there's still so much that God's doing, and there's still so much that's funny, and there's still so many places where we can find what's good and what's true and what's joyful. Um, but we have to work, you know? We have to work. Yeah, you know, when, when, when two, or two people or a group of people are having a, a real laugh, you know, they're just a real, something that just generally it's, it's, it's not when somebody told a joke, it's when something funny happened. You know, yeah. and and you just both burst into spontaneous. I mean, you're not not a courtesy laugh, not anything, but just this, this spontaneous laughter, and you can't get over it. Uh, really, what we used to call the giggles. You know, yeah, um, yeah. Th- those are moments of pure joy. It doesn't matter at that moment whether you're rich or poor or sick or healthy or it all disappears with that laughter. Yeah, it just recalibrates everything, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it really does. You, you, <laughs> you feel like, if I can be happy in this moment, why can't I be happy all the time? Yeah, yeah. I never get upset when my students get the giggles during math, um, <laughs> yeah. as long as they get a lid on it pretty quickly. Just, <laughs> just don't get the I giggles guess. during a funeral. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> now, that sounds like the voice of experience. <laughs> it, it is a voice of experience. <laughs> I mean, we, we've all been invited to funerals, or we feel like we b- should be at a funeral for somebody we didn't really know very well, you know, a friend of a friend yeah. of a friend. But you know, sure, and sure. You, you always go for the living, not the deceased. Yeah, and and so you're you're doing your best to, you know, you, I mean, you, for goodness' sake, it's a funeral, you know. But there are still moments, <laughs> <laughs> and I think we've all had. I. I, uh, my oldest daughter, she, she and I had a, had a wavelength about things that struck us the same as funny. And, (laughs) and if we caught each other's eyes, it was, it was the end, you know, like, and I, I remember years ago at, at a, a funeral that we, we were attending. Fortunately, we're sitting in the back of the church, but it was just, somebody said something that that rang a bell or pushed a button or something and i was like don't look at me do not look at me or we're gonna both be out of here and what a treasured gift to share with your daughter yes yes indeed <laughs> indeed oh goodness well sure you also talk about and i think this is really important uh, the big two empathy and ownership yeah yeah um there's a video that I share with students. Um, it, it touched me so, and it's Lizzie Velasquez, and she was coined the world's ugliest woman, mm. and she was just a teenager. And right. you know, when a picture of her—I don't know, maybe you know her story—but um, they were within an insanely tiny amount of time, the millions of comments that were that were beyond offensive and hurtful. Um, And she said, I I just kept reading them. She said, I just, I was stuck in that rabbit hole. And she said, I just kept reading thinking someone, someone is going to say, someone's going to stick up for me. Someone is going to say something nice or something good. And she said, more than a million comments later, no one had. And I thought, oh gosh, oh gosh. If people knew how important empathy was, um, if they knew how to practice it, if they knew how profound its impact could be on the callousness of this world, wow, wouldn't we be in a different shape? And that, to me, to be someone who shows integrity, who shows empathy, who shows honor, um, who shows virtue, those are the things that make us a disciple. Those are the things that set us apart from other humans with a distinction that's pleasing to the Lord. And so, um, you know, we just we had Tuesday we had a, a Lenten retreat for our fifth and sixth graders, and, and one of the talks was on empathy and about that ability to not be so self-centered, um, to to look at your friend who's being really grumpy and 
and, you know, not say horrible things about what a grump they are, but to just stop for a minute and say, okay, well, what's going on in their life? Uh-huh. You know, to be bold enough to look at them and say, are you okay? But, oh, my gosh, we just think everybody should think we are all that bag of chips at all times. And when we're not treated the way we think we should be treated at every moment, which is often like royalty, um, we're, we're not so quick to jump into their life and pop in their shoes and just take a minute to, to pray for them, to desire their holiness, to reach out and, and help. Um, and I think, honestly, if we could teach our kids to be more empathetic, I think half of the garbage on the Internet would be gone. No, I, I think you're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. You know, my, my wife and I have a, it's not a rule, but it's just a sort of a saying among us, and, and our kids certainly hear it when we're, when we're acting it out. You know, somebody cuts you off in traffic or, or you've got somebody's rude in line at the grocery store or whatever, just kind of one of those, those nasty encounters. Um, before we uh, uh, denigrate that person or talk, talk down about them or anything, uh, we say, okay, if, if you're, if you're going to say something bad about this person, you have to be willing to trade places with them permanent, yeah. permanently. Yeah. Like you have to take over whatever their situation is and become that person. Do you really want to trade places with that person? And if you say no, it probably means something's going on in their life that has caused them. And you don't know, but for the grace of God, if you were facing the same things they're facing, if you wouldn't act the same way. Right, right. And we should just automatically assume that they are in the middle of something we know nothing about. Um, I, I do that with great humor in terms of traffic, and, and anytime someone <laughs> drives crazy or cuts me off or speeds fine, or, you know, whatever it is, and our temptation would be to grumble about that, my, my standard humorous line is, oh, my gosh, St. Gerard, get them to the hospital on time before that baby's actually born. And that's <laughs> that's just, good. You know, I, 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 I just think that, again, humor um, is a way to just kind of recalibrate that balance and say, who am I to think? You know, someone shouldn't pass me, or that, right. that I'm a perfect driver that wouldn't irritate someone. Who who am I? Who am I? And I have no idea what they're racing to. You're right. It's that empathy. It's and to say those things out loud, to process out loud in front of our children, you will probably get shoulder rugs and eye rolls. Yeah. But it's going to plant a seed. And most of our our parenting is about planting seeds, not trees. Right. <laughs> that's that's exactly exactly right. And then, of course, brother's keeper. Um, we've all heard that. Um, today, uh, we have to change that to siblings keeper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we know the truth. Yes. We know what it means, right? right? We are responsible for others and what we say, um, how it affects them. Um, you know, not, not to mean that we have to be perfect all the time and always, you know, there are going to be moments when we say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing or react in a way that we're not proud of. And so that goes back to that step above, empathy and ownership. You know, for me to be able to say, you know, when I was, I was really short-tempered and I am, I'm sorry, it wasn't about you. I, I was kind of stuck in this or, um, you know, some of the, the most powerful words we can ever speak to someone is, can you forgive me, right? Can you forgive me? And I think one of the biggest steps in taking care of each other is to ask and give forgiveness. Amen. Yeah. Amen. You know, and, and it's real hard to say, I'm sorry. It's also real hard to forgive. You know, I, I, I think the, the hardest thing Jesus ever asked us to do, uh, everything he asks us to do is, is the right thing to do clearly, but, um, without, without question, and and most of it is is you, you know would make it a better world. But when he tells us to love our enemies, <laughs> wow, that's a you know that's a real tough one. As even as our enemy remains our enemy, you know we're supposed to love them. Yeah. Like okay, yeah. I'm going to love you, but you stop this bad behavior, and the bad behavior keeps going on. We, that doesn't mean we we get a pass now. You know, it's, it's, the work of forgiveness is lifetime work. It absolutely is. And there are going to be days we get it right, and there are days when we don't. Um, 
but it's it's a goal, it's a mission, it's something he's called us to. Right? That whole that whole scripture about how many times seven, you no, know, seventy times seventy, you know, whatever it is. The whole point in that is that that's how many times I have to remind myself yep. that I need to be forgiven, and I need to, I need to desire the other person's holiness. And and anytime my students have a conflict, one of the first things I say is, you know, no matter how mad you are at them right now, no matter how much you feel you have been hurt or um, treated unjustly, I need you to remember that God loves him as much as he loves you. Yeah, indeed. And, you know, I've done the math on that seven times 70 a few times and gone, okay, that's 490. But if we get to 491, <laughs> watch out. <laughs> it just means he's still working in your heart. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, Sherry, it's just a joy to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, for all you do, and thanks for uh, uh, taking taking the time to be with us. Uh, you have a great influence on the world, and uh, you're doing the Lord's work for sure. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. This has been a delight. Well, God bless you and your family and your grandkids and all the people you work with. Okay. Yeah, yeah take thank care. You. Yeah, all thank right. you. Take care. Bye-bye. That's uh, Sherry Wolfert. Uh, Catholic school teacher, speaker, writer, founder of the Joyful Words Ministries. She blogs at joyfulwords.org. And delight, delight to, to talk with her and the, the great work that she does. And you can read about her as well in the, the uh, upcoming issue of the Catholic Herald right here in the Diocese of Sacramento, the uh, March-April edition of the Catholic Herald, which is just about to come out. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back with more on the Bishop's Hour right after this. This portion of the Bishop's Hour is brought to you by a grant from the St. Vincent de Paul Society. Drop by and shop at their thrift store, a beautiful, beautiful thrift store at 2275 Watt Avenue. Open Mondays through Saturdays from 10 to 8 and Sundays from 11 to 6. They also accept donations at the store, donations of furniture, appliances, clothing, books, everyday household items. Your donations help to fund the many projects of the St. Vincent de Paul Society throughout the Diocese of Sacramento. Do such wonderful, wonderful work, and the thrift store is uh, one of the, the ways they uh, raise the funds to help people throughout the diocese, and also uh, many of their clients are able to access the uh, thrift store for uh, items that they need. You can uh, give them a call. They will come pick it up as well, but you can uh, give them a call. They're at 916-972-1212. And remember, again, the thrift store is open uh, seven days a week at 2275 Watt Avenue right here in Sacramento. Well, Bishop Soto refers to Christ the King Retreat Center as the jewel of the diocese, and indeed it is. What a beautiful oasis it is. It's located in Citrus Heights, uh, right in the hustle and bustle of the city, and you feel like you're getting away from it all when you uh, turn off the main road and just uh, uh, come into Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center. Christ the King has served Northern California and the Diocese of Sacramento for over 60 years through parish weekend retreats, individual spiritual direction, and a variety of other programs. For information on all the programs that they offer, including residential programs, give them a call. They're at 916-725-4720, or you can visit them at 6520 Van Maren Lane in Citrus Heights. And we certainly thank uh, the St. Vincent de Paul Society and Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center for their fine and long-standing support of the Bishop's Hour. Hello, this is Jennifer Campbell, Director of Trinity Pines Catholic Center. You're listening to the Bishop's Hour with Bob Dunning. Thank you, Jennifer, and thanks for uh, all you do. And uh, we should uh, we talked to Jennifer the other day, and uh, she needs counselors for Camp Pendola coming up this summer. She needs counselors and other other folks to work there during the summer. Uh, it's a great great experience, and you get paid. Yes, yeah, you're not volunteers. Uh, just go to Pendola, P-E-N-D-O-L-A, Pendola.org, and uh, learn about all the positions that are open for this summer. Well, we are just uh, pleased and honored to welcome in Blake Young, uh, the uh, president and CEO of the Sacramento Food Bank. Blake, always good to hear your voice. Hey, Bob. How are you? Doing very, very good. You know, I opened a newspaper the other day, and I saw, wow, food bank's on the front page. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, what, what, what were we doing? You were <laughs> you 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 were uh, selling the store. <laughs> yeah, no, we're 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 very excited. I mean, as you know, Bob, COVID, the pandemic impacted us greatly, and right? Gave us a chance to to really the board and I to really sit down and and you know really think about what does the next ten to twenty years look like. And, there's so much good work being done in the family service world, even though we're going to retain quite a few of our family services, but to consolidate to one campus, given the demand for food, as you and I've talked about, you know, before the pandemic, we were providing food to about 150,000 people a month. Well, we're, we're at 300,000 now and, it, and the number's not going down. So it's just mind boggling. It's, it's mind boggling. <laughs> and, you know, every business, particularly nonprofits should take a look at their business and, you know, evaluate it and make some decisions on what what's good for the next you know for sustainability and longevity and we're lucky that we were lucky enough to consider you know selling the campus and and uh, making major investments in our food bank uh, up in the north area and that's what we've done and we're real excited about it yeah that's uh so where 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 were you your your new headquarters be so we, we've always had, well, always, since 2014, we've had our food bank campus up in the north area between mm-hmm. McClellan and Natomas. Okay. Uh, we have a, over 100,000 square foot warehouse up there that we, we, we manage all of our food bank operations. And as everybody knows, our headquarters with Automatic and started in Oak Park. And so we just, we, we really had a chance to consolidate and uh, to bring everything under one roof. So it, it's much more efficient. It's, uh, we're, we're, we're able to build out some office space there uh, and, and really look to the future. I mean, the, the, the demand for food resources is not going down. And in, in our evaluation, it's not going to go down for a long, long time. And at the end of the day, we're a food bank. And there's a lot of good family services going on in Sacramento County, and we're still holding on to a few. But our primary responsibility is to try to provide food and nourish folks in Sacramento County. Right. And it, that, that's a big job. Yeah, and, and, and it, it seems as if, you know, you, you're, you're going to be able to use the, the funds from the sale to actually expand what, you, what you're able to offer people. Great point. I, I, I don't think most people don't quite understand how, how are feeding 300,000 people a month. It is very expensive. It's, uh, you know, not just with inflation. I mean, it's just expensive, period. And uh, But you're, to your point, the, the sale will allow us to reinvest, expand our operations at the food bank, but also invest money in the network. Uh, during the pandemic, we have 150 partners, and a lot of them were heavily impacted by the mm-hmm. pandemic. And and where we go, they go. Where they go, we go. If we if we don't have partners to be able to distribute the food, um, we're really limited. So we're going to make investments in the network, and uh, at the end of the day, try to expand food access for folks in Sacramento County. Yeah, you 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 made that point in the in the article I read in the B that uh, um, it doesn't it doesn't do you a lot of good to have a warehouse full of food if you can't get it to the people who need it. Well, and you, you just summarized uh, uh, really our intention of the sale. I mean, we, we you know, th- that's our primary responsibility. We're a regional food bank. It has grown so fast because of the pandemic and now inflation. And, you know, you and I talked about this back in 2008 in the recession. You know, the, the numbers went up and we thought, well, gosh, you know, they'll come back down when the mm-hmm. economy improves. And, you know, it, it never went back down. And, and, and there's no way you can, uh, any business, even Amazon can't go from feeding 150,000 people nope. to 300,000 in 60 days. Nope. It's not possible. In 60 days? In, in, within two months of the pandemic, we almost hit 300,000. Wow. That's so, oh, it's ama- Well, and it just, shows the, it just shows the amazing community that we have in Sacramento, the compassionate community. I mean, people knew. I mean, you know, the first, you know, when people are struggling to put food on the table— you know, it, 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 it's, it's tough to see, and that's what we've been experiencing. And gosh darn it, the, the number hasn't gone down. And even, even as your numbers double in a two-month period, your volunteers fell off during that same two-month two period because of the pandemic. 
they did much, much like other regional food banks across the country. And you know what? Um, thank the Lord for the National Guard. I mean, they came yep. out in droves and, and helped put a Band-Aid on it for a while. And then, you know, I, I will huge shout-out to our volunteers and all, all, all volunteers that provide service to the food bank. I mean, our seniors that were asked to shelter in place, I mean, it, the pandemic was nowhere near done, and they wanted to come back. And mm-hmm. So we're, we're lucky in that, you know, people find value in coming and, and providing volunteer services, and we got our volunteers back, and things are going well. But, you know, as a CEO, I, I worry about sustainability. I mean, again, feeding, providing food to 300,000 people with less less food uh, pantries to do it is is just a, a you know you're biting off a lot. So we uh, we're blessed that we were able to sell uh, the Oak Park campus to University of Pacific. They're going to be great stewards of the community. You know they're going to provide a lot of health services to the community, and we're going to be able to focus on what we do best. Are they going to put some of their health sciences in there as well as the law school? Oh, actually, there's no law school. It's all health sciences and a dental school. Very They're going to expand their dental school. I didn't realize before I started meeting with UOP that they have one of the largest dental schools in the country in San right. Francisco. Right. And they're they're expanding to uh, to Sacramento, and they're going to offer a lot of good stuff to the community. So we're That's excited. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a win-win. There's no question about it. it it's, it's a win-win, and we, we you know, we're, we're blessed in that, you know, they, they, they really cared about the mission and, and – you know, everybody that has been involved really is uh, has been absolutely wonderful. And, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, you know, people support us because we provide really meaningful services. And, you know, again, you know, you have to you have to evaluate, you know, what you're doing. And gosh darn, it, you know, right now in this environment, um, you know, you have to kind of look at what does the next 10 years look like? So the. Your parameters are, are Sacramento County, correct? Yes, that's correct. And for, for new listeners, explain exactly how it gets from you to all these, what, several hundred people that help to get it out. Or people, yeah. I mean organizations. You bet, Bob. So, I mean, in a nutshell, we, we buy and source food from all over the country, mainly the state of California. So 40% of everything we distribute is fresh fruits and vegetables. Mm-hmm. We buy those fresh fruits and vegetables with a cooperative group of 40 other food banks in California. Mm-hmm. So we, we buy that produce for pennies on the dollar. Right. Then, then we have over 150 retail establishments throughout Sacramento County that we source food from, manufacturers, grocery stores, et cetera. And then the federal government under the United States Department of Agriculture provides some food to all major regional food banks across the country. Mm-hmm. So that pretty much makes up farms, retail, some food drives, but really, and then the federal government provides a small, small portion. And then what we do is we, we bring it in, we store it, we repackage it. We provide it to over 150 partners throughout Sacramento County. Mm-hmm. They then, we deliver most of it, some pick up, and they in turn supply the food to the end user. Now, the difference in Sacramento County, because Sacramento unfortunately experiences a higher than average state and national average of food insecurity, mm-hmm. Sacramento Food Bank and Family Services maintains their own direct programs as well. Uh-huh. And so we also distribute food to take pressure off the system. Sure. So we call it a hub-and-spoke model. So when you're supporting Sacramento Food Bank, you're really supporting the entire network because our job is to get to get food out, store it, distribute it, and, and, and ensure that, that, that the health of the food that's being distributed is good. So everybody that belongs in our network has a contract with us, and our primary responsibility is to manage that system. So with 150 or so um, in, a, in a fairly large county, uh, that, that puts most people fairly close to some source of food. Yes, and if you go onto our website... And, and, and click on the food finder, you can type in your zip code, mm-hmm. and out will 
out will spit all of the um, available food in your area. Wow. Our goal, though, our goal is to try to, as equally as possible, provide access. So what our other primary responsibility is, is to evaluate the network, see where there are places that are challenged by access, and either build a partnership with somebody else or bring in food in that area. So folks that are challenged um, to get food close to their spot, that we can, we can help them out. So when, when your need went up and has remained at this high level, do, do you, does the federal or state or anybody else, did they come through with more or, or not? Or is, is that a, a political battle? Now this is a great this is a great question, Bob, and I appreciate it. It's not really political. I think I think either side of the aisle. This is such a basic human need that that it rises to the top. We sure, have had, sure seems like it. Yeah. No, we've had significant assistance from the federal government and state government, and typically we don't. Most food banks in the country are privately funded, uh, but the pandemic brought out a whole different a mm-hmm. whole different set of structure and, and assistance. So. Yes, um, they have helped augment um, the volume um, in, in a lot of different ways um, between between some funding and, and some food help. And so that's starting to wane, obviously, because the pandemic's in our rearview mirror, so to speak. Um, and I don't the, the issue becomes, and another reason why we had to evaluate the business is regardless, um, the federal and state government, as you know, uh, run deficits as well. In fact, <laughs> you and I can read every day right. about about California. So, the, the the point is is that we do not believe long term that that the federal government or the state government is going to be there. Um, we will go back to business as usual, which is some help, but the main help will come from our individual donors, and uh, that's just the way it's going to be. If if there is a dip in in demand. What would what would cause that? What would be one of the catalysts to where maybe your demand goes down some? Well, uh, inflation gets under control, mm-hmm. and so so uh, you know people you know people actually a lot of folks don't realize that the the inflation has caused a significant increase. People in Sacramento, it, it, Northern California, or California in general has some specific challenges. The cost of housing mixed with inflationary cost of goods has caused people that, they, I mean, there could be husband and wife both have jobs and they have a couple of kids, but they still can't make ends meet. And that's been just absolutely, um, completely exaggerated uh, during this time. And, and so I think that, you know, we, we could see a dip in if the inflation gets under control, cost of eggs, cost of fuel uh, will allow folks. But on the flip side, I think the pandemic brought a lot, introduced a lot of people to our food network that had never reached out before, mm-hmm. and now they find value. And so Sacramento is an interesting spot because housing's housing's very expensive now. Inflation, so so goods are expensive. And, you know, people that normally might say, eh, you know what, I, I, I don't need any assistance. Let, let the folks that, that need assistance have it. Are finding value in, you know, $100, $150 worth of groceries a month. That's significant when you're trying to buy cleats for Johnny's, uh, you know, baseball team and you're Boy. trying to fix a clutch in your car, et cetera. Isn't that, isn't that the case? You know, it, it, I know just as a consumer, um, you know, there, there, there are a lot of things, whether it's vacations or, or certain goods, you just say, well, we, we're just not going to buy that. We don't need it. You know, it's not critical. But you, you got to go to the grocery store, and, and it's, it's eye-popping some of the prices now, whether you're going to the warehouse stores or the, you know, the, the, the local or, or a chain. Uh, it just doesn't matter. Some uh, stuff that that you can say, I know a year ago 
it was it's not just five six percent it might be double what it was a year ago and you're going wow not to mention the cost of gasoline and and everything else the the sort of the quote unquote necessities of life um it is and and you can see somebody on the margin uh just saying i i we can't do it anymore you know we 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 can't eat beans every night, and and we we can't even afford the beans. Well, if you think about it, you and I've talked about this. The average the average American citizen has four hundred dollars savings at most. Yeah, right. So so if you if you just add inflation, uh, it, it, it's over. You're now you're yep. in the hole. Yep. So so you know uh, you know food food banks and food programs during this time are, are critical. And the thing is, is, you know, especially when you think about seniors on a fixed income or you think about children whose parents are barely making it, I mean, it, it, this is a lifeline. And it's no joke. And, you know, we, you know, our motto is, is a, a, a better nourished community is a more productive and happy community. And you can, you can really think about crime, et cetera, yeah. teenage pregnancy, high school dropout, you know, can be connected to food insecurity and, so it's it's a it's a vital resource, and you know we're just we're just blessed to be, you know, so so well supported. Um, but gosh, I mean, it's never in my career been this daunting. Yeah, you know, I, I you're, you're exactly right. Everything is interconnected. I've always felt that uh, if everybody had enough to eat, truly enough to eat, and two more hours of sleep a night. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, the crime rate would probably plummet. Well, it's true, and and uh, you know, all of us have experienced hunger in some weird way, whether we it was it was forced on us because we were poor, right, or um, because we had a long road trip and we couldn't get to a restaurant, right, right. But, but you you know that feeling, and so try that feeling every day, all day. Yeah, it, it, and and then and then think about our our, our beautiful young children who are going to be leaders. Someday. I mean, it's, it's a serious situation, and I'm afraid in California it's, it, it's not looking any better. So, again, back to our original conversation, I mean, it, we, we've had to evaluate and look at our food bank business, and it's just it's, it's going to continue to be stretched. And so I think any, any really good business with good business leaders has to evaluate that. So uh, st- your primary source of income is still uh, donations. Oh, you bet. Oh, I, I mean, it's, this, it's mainly Sacramento community individuals, folks that are not far from our work that really value what we do and what we provide to the community. But it is, it is individual donors, families, et cetera. And you've, you've, you've stated many times that uh, it's just a stunning thing. You, you can get five meals for a dollar. Uh, just imagine if somebody donates a hundred dollars, or twenty dollars, or five hundred dollars. Just multiply that by five, and think of all the good you're doing. Yeah, we're, we're you know, and that number is pretty consistent with most regional food banks. One scale, two that you know, eighty percent of our workforce is volunteers, mm-hmm. and three we can buy food in a cooperative with other food banks for pennies on the dollar. So, yes, your donation goes a long long way and you know i i i've always said you know if, if you feed one person it, it, it's it's just so important uh for folks not not to have to suffer from hunger um it's it's a it's it's hard to believe that we that we still experience this in our country but it, it's it's more prevalent than you think and i think the last time i looked um one out of four so 10 million people in the state of california our food insecure. That's it's it's stunning. My you know, you, you're right, especially in this, in the the bounty in this state, and yep. uh, um, and and it, it is it's a stunning figure, and 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 then you know you you start thinking about the rest of the world, and you go, wow, if it's if it's tough here, how much tougher is it in some of these other places? It's one hundred percent. Yeah. Well, Blake, uh, anything I didn't ask you about that you wanted to share? <laughs> well, the only thing we didn't touch on is I always try to say thank you and God bless all of our volunteers. Yes. If we didn't have if we didn't have volunteers, we wouldn't have an organization. They're absolutely wonderful and 
and consistent, and we can always we can always use more folks because the number is not going down. But just a quick shout out to to them; um, they're just wonderful folks, and we're, we're just so lucky to have. And if some kind soul listening today wants to make a donation, what's the best way to do that? Our website, sacramentofoodbank.org, uh, is probably the easiest. People are used to that now. And for every dollar you donate, five dollars, uh, you know, five meals, we can produce five meals, and that's a significant return on community investment. We're, but we're just so thankful uh, for the community and thankful uh, to you, Bob, and and uh, all the folks that uh, support us. Well, we're sure thankful to you, uh, Blake, and uh, God bless you and your family and, and, and all the great uh, staff there and all your volunteers and everybody that helps make the Sacramento Food Bank go. Yeah, thank you so much, Bob. Thanks, Blake. Take care. That's okay. uh, Blake Young, the uh, president and CEO of the Sacramento Food Bank. And, yeah, the, the, to, to hear during the, the early stages of the pandemic, they went from – 150,000 people a month, a month that they were feeding, we're not talking about a year, that they were feeding to 300,000. Uh, it's just, it's just, that's, it's mind boggling. They doubled it in six, 60 days. And because a number of their, their senior, their, their uh, volunteers are seniors, um, they had to, to say, uh, we're sorry uh, because of the pandemic. It's just not, it's not safe for you to be working here right now, uh, even though many of them wanted to continue working. Um, and so that, you know, they, they lost a significant portion of their food source, uh, food uh, uh, workers of their um, employment, uh, not, not employment, but of the, the, the people that helped put everything together. And uh, at the very moment that where the, the volume of what they needed to distribute was, was doubling. So it's a, it's a remarkable organization, and uh, Blake has, uh, has led it for a number of years and just does a, a tremendous job. All started, you know, by Father Dan Madigan and a few others uh, at Immaculate Conception Parish and has just uh, now serves all of Sacramento County, about 150 different outlets of distribution. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's an enormous task. But uh, I, I can't think of better people to do it than the Sacramento Food Bank and also uh, uh, Blake Young. Well, this is a, uh, uh, a message from uh, Bishop Soto about the annual Holy Saturday pilgrimage, which has uh, become a real tradition here in the diocese. He says, Dear brothers, please consider having your parish, as is to his priest, serve as a site of pilgrimage for the annual Holy Saturday pilgrimage to the seven churches. The Diocese of Sacramento, in collaboration with Radio Santissimo Sacramento, our Spanish-language station, is organizing the annual Holy Saturday pilgrimage to seven churches in the diocese. This beautiful Holy Week tradition offers the faithful an opportunity to embrace the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. It will also prepare the faithful's hearts for the Easter Vigil and Easter Sunday. This pilgrimage is an opportunity for thousands of faithful to place their joys and sorrows on the cross of Jesus. This year, we will offer a hybrid pilgrimage. For the able-bodied, there will be the traditional eight-mile pilgrimage in Sacramento. A map will be provided in advance with the route beginning on Holy Saturday, which this year is April the 1st, at 7 a.m. at St. Elizabeth Parish and continuing to the Sacramento Food Bank, Immaculate Conception Parish, Sacred Heart Parish, St. Francis of Assisi Parish, Cathedral of the Blessed Sacrament, and concluding at the Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe. For those who cannot walk or who are far from downtown Sacramento, there will be the opportunity to participate in this pilgrimage, driving in their cars to seven participating parishes in their area, as was done for three years due to the pandemic. More than 40 parishes, ranging from Chico to Vallejo, are participating in this version of the pilgrimage, RSS, that's Radio Santissimo Sacramento, will provide crosses to be placed outside each parish and will assign one ambassador to be stationed with each cross and guide the pilgrims as they visit each church. Again, this will take place on Saturday, uh, April the 8th, and we'll have more of, the, more of that uh, as, as we get closer to the date. That's going to do it for us for today. Thanks for listening, everyone. God bless. We'll talk with you again soon.
Can I pour my heart out to a listening ear? But I see this life, it's valleys and mountains. And I think of all the roads that brought me here. Oh, that brought me here. I've questioned my reasons This life I'm living I question my ability 